الحمدللہ وکفا السلام علی عباده الذین استفا اما بعد فاعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم والذین جاہدو فینا لنہدینہم سبلنا سبحان ربک رب العزتی اما یصفون وسلام علی المرسلین والحمدللہ رب العالمین اللہم صلی علی سیدنا محمد وعلی آل سیدنا محمد مبارک وسلم Today in Darsh-e-Sheikh, we will do one hadith of Nabi al-Islam, which is a riwayat of Tirmidhi Sharif. So, Hazrat Ibn Masurit al-Anhu narrates that Nabi al-Islam said, On the day of judgment, the feet of the son of Adam will be powerless to move away till he is questioned about five matters. Number one, on how he spent his life. Number two, in what pursuits he passed his youth. Number three, where did he get his wealth from? Number four, on what did he spend his wealth on? And number five, what did he do regarding the knowledge that he possessed? So this is a long hadith. Inshallah, we'll try and cover this today. So the first question. What did you spend your life on? So there are many verses of Quran. Number one, Auzubillah min ash-shaitan ar-rajim. Allah Ta'ala says, Afahasibtum anna ma khalaqnaakum abatham wa antum ilayna la turja'oon. That, did you deem that when we had created you, that we have created you for nothing, and that you would not be returned to us? Allah Ta'ala is asking this question. Then, Shaykh Al-Adhi Salaam quotes another ayat of Quran. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That I created the jinn and mankind only so that they may obey me. There's something called عبودیت that you need to spend your life in such a way that you, every act of yours represents you being an abd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So obviously that means that number one, you don't disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any of the aspects of life, whether it's your social aspect, whether it's a personal aspect, whether there is something to do with your earning in your family etc. Then Shaykh Al-Adhi further writes many pages on this. So we will just read some selected uh, paras from this. So he writes, So everybody should consider and see how many precious moments of his lifetime are being spent on the occupations for which he was created by Allah SWT, on the struggle to achieve the aim and object of his life and how much time is being spent on the so-called necessities of life, recreations and other pursuits that bear no relation to the real purpose of his life. Then he gives an example. That suppose you employ a builder to do some construction work. Hmm? You employ a builder to do some construction work. You will naturally take notice of the time he spends on construction and the time wasted in smoking or taking meals, etc. Hmm? So it is only fair that you allow for yourself only the same concessions as you deem fit for your subordinates. Or take the case of a person employed at your shop whom you pay for this service. If the man remains away most of the time doing his own household work and attends to the shop only for a short time at long job intervals, would you like to give him his full pay? Hmm? If not, then what excuse can you offer for your own behavior in respect of your commitments to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Who created you only that you might obey Him constantly? He is your Lord and Creator. 
and showers his blessings on you all the time but you waste your time in idle pursuits with the belief that you are performing the salah regularly should suffice hmm? please consider whether you would tolerate such a reply from your servants allah so shaykh radhi sahab is trying to explain to us that if we if we employ an employee and we give him wages to work let's say 9 hours a day hmm? out of those 9 hours how many hours is he actually working to the same way allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent us down hmm? to spend our life to obey him 24 hours a day so out of those 24 hours how much time are we actually spending in obeying him is our obeying only at the five times of salah or is our whole life spent in such a way that we obeying him in every aspect of our life then the second question asked on the day of judgment will be how did you spend your youth allahu akbar what a question how did you spend your youth was it spent in performing a good deeds that win the pleasure of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala such as prayers or redressing grievances of the oppressed or assisting the weak and disabled ones or did you spend your youthful energy in acts of disobedience like wasteful and wanton living or wrongdoing and cruelty to the helpless or strengthening the hands of the oppressor or in amassing unlawful wealth or in useless pastimes which are neither beneficial in this world nor in the hereafter allah ko ke bhai shaykh radis rahmatullah was alive today hmm? he would have been in such surprise that now the youth is becoming worse and worse as time goes on more wasting of time so many more things to waste their time on hmm? and that's why the youth is so powerful hmm? in the arabs they say that if you don't achieve something by the age of 20 you will not achieve anything they used to say that 20 now 20 and this day and age seems like a little kid hmm? allah akbar imam shafi rahmatullah used to give fatwa when he was in his teens hmm? teens fatwa that's the power of youth allah akbar kabira that's why ibadat and itaat of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the youth is so powerful it has so much reward because you're attracted to everything in the youth hmm? obviously when you become older the attractions reduce but when you're in your youth you're young you have energy you you're beautiful hmm? you're handsome people attract you you attract people so that's what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask you that how did you spend your youth did you only spend ramadan the way it was supposed to be spent and did you sin the rest of the 11 months hmm? or did you spend all 12 months like ramadan then shekhul hadith rahmatullah he quotes some ayahs so one ayat is al yawma nakhtimu ala afwahihim wa tukallimuna aydihim wa tashhadu arjuluhum bima kanu yaksibun that on the day of resurrection we seal up the mouths and the hands speak out and feet bear witness as to what they used to perform so this is that is to say hands will speak out and name the persons wronged and mention the misdeeds committed through them the feet will bear witness to the immoral gatherings which they attended hmm. then he narrates some ahadith that there are many traditions on the subject of testimony of the limbs hmm. so the person's mouth will be sealed and his limbs will will answer on behalf of him so in a hadith hazrat anas ridhala anhu narrates that they were once sitting in the company with rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he smiled 
and his blessed teeth became visible. He then asked if they knew why he had smiled. They replied that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam know best. So he then, he then told them that on the day of judgment, a man will say to his Lord, O oh Allah, have you not granted me protection against injustice? Allah ta'ala will reply, certainly. The man will then say, I do not trust any outside witness concerning myself. Hmm? I do not trust any outside witness concerning myself. Allah Ta'ala will reply, Well, we shall make you a witness to yourself. His mouth will then be sealed up and the parts of his body will be ordered to speak. They will recount all his deeds and when he is allowed to speak again, he will say to his limbs, May you be cursed and suffer for it. It was for your sake that I indulge in all these things. This hadith is from Mishkat Sharif. In another hadith, all of the parts of the body, the first to speak out will be the left thigh, which will disclose what misdeeds it was made to commit. All the other limbs will be made to speak afterwards. In short, each part of the body will speak out and recount all the deeds, good or bad, committed by itself. That is why Nabi al-Islam remarked once in another hadith, that recite the kalma, subhanallah, and alhamdulillah, and count them on your fingers for the day for on the day of judgment the parts of the body will be granted the power to speak and they will have to face questioning this hadith means that when these limbs are given the power of speech and they reveal all the sins they will also recount the many good deeds performed by them while their hands bear testimony about misdeeds and acts of violence and disobedience they will also stand witness to the reciting and counting of sacred names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the giving of sadaqa and participating in other good deeds the subject is too vast to be treated at full length. So Shaila Dis Ramtullah is saying that you should also when you're doing tasbih, you should use your fingers. So on the day of judgment when your hands are also opening up your sins, they will also open up your good deeds. That Ya Allah He used the fingers hmm, to recite your tasbih, to recite astaghfar, to recite durood on the Vil Islam hmm, or to give sadaqa. So it goes both ways. Then another hadith Nabi Islam says that youth is a kind of madness and women are the snares of the shaitan. Allahu Akbar. Ash-shababu shu'batum minal jununi wa nisa'u khibalatu shaitan. That is to say in the frenzy of youth in the frenzy of youth one is easily caught in these snares. We listen to these words in every Friday sermon as they are part of the khutbah but intoxicated by the passions of the youth, we never think that we shall be questioned about our youth. So this was the second question on the youth. The third question to be asked on the Day of Judgment as per this hadith is that what were the sources through which you acquired your wealth? Were they lawful or unlawful? And it also comes in hadith that no one will be allowed to leave before he answers these first these questions. So imagine one question, then another question, then another question. Allahu Akbar, you won't be able to move from there. So on this, Nabi Islam said in a hadith, that if a man acquires wealth by unlawful means and gives it for sadaqa, it will not be acceptable. Hmm? Unlawful means and even gives it in sadaqa, it will not be acceptable. Neither will he be blessed in it. If he spends it on his needs and if he dies leaving it behind as inheritance, it will be his provision for Jahannam. 
Allah Akbar. Another hadith, Nabi Islam said that the flesh of a man's body which has been nourished with food procured by unlawful means is more fitting for Jahannam. Another hadith, Nabi Islam said, which is from Mishkat Sharif, if anybody buys a garment for 10 dirhams and among these 10 there is one dirham unlawfully acquired, his salah will not be acceptable as long as he wears it. So you have to be very, very, very careful. In today's world, the interest and riba is is in so many transactions. Somewhere or the other, the effect comes. You have to be very careful where your wealth is coming from. Especially people who are doing business, they should be very, very careful on their dealings, on the contracts, on negotiations. Islam said in another hadith that if you possess four qualities you should not grieve over missing any worldly benefit. Hmm? If you possess four qualities then you should not be missing any worldly benefit. Number one is trustworthiness. Hmm? So you are among the Siddiqeen, trustworthiness. Sadiqul Amin, truthful speech that you are honest. Hmm? Good habits and number four is pure means of livelihood. Then another hadith Nabi Islam narrates, Nabi Islam says that blessed is the man whose livelihood is honestly earned, whose heart is pure, qalbun salim, whose outward behavior is noble, and people are safe from the evil in him. Blessed is the man who acts upon his knowledge, who spends all that exceeds his needs for the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and who guards his tongue against unnecessary talk. Oh, this is an amazing hadith, the next one. That once Hazrat Saad Anhu asked Nabi Islam to pray to Allah SWT that he might make a mustajabud dawat, as a person whose duas are accepted. So Sahaba Kram are asking Nabi Islam, that Nabi Islam please make dua for us that we become mustajabud dawat, that all of our duas are fulfilled. So Nabi Islam replied, he said, Make your means of livelihood pure, that is, do not partake of doubtful things, you will always have your du'as fulfilled. By him who's, who holds the soul of Muhammad wasallam in his hands, a man takes a morsel of haram food into his stomach, which renders his 40 days devotion unacceptable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and a person befits Jahannam if he has been feeding himself with haram food. Allahu Akbar Kabira. So strong about risk tayyab, halal and tayyab. So strong that if you want a person whose du'as are accepted by Allah SWT, then you should make sure that your livelihood is pure. And also if a person takes one morsel of haram food in his stomach, it will make his devotion to Allah SWT unacceptable for 40 days. Ya Allah, hmm. we have to be very careful on where we are earning from. Then Shaykh Radhisham writes, Therefore one should be very cautious with regard to the sources of one income. On the face of it, this caution might restrict one's financial gains. Hmm? On the Zahiri Tor, on the Zahiri Sata, apparently it may seem that you are limiting yourself from worldly income, but this seeming loss turns out to be very beneficial in the long run, inasmuch as one is blessed in one's honestly earned money and is also protected from ultimate haram. 
The fourth question that we will be asked is that on the day of judgment, that where did you spend the wealth? So Shikhaladi Samatullah replies to this question that he's written his whole whole book on this. Fazail Sadakat, that where will you where should you where where did you spend your wealth? And then Shaykh Radhi mentions something amazing. He says that the loss of hoarding money, hmm? so the loss of not spending your money but keeping it, there is a twofold loss. One is that you do not make use of it for your own benefit, so it's kept lying and you're not using it for your own benefit, and it is left behind as dead weight. Hmm? And various other harms of hoarding wealth have been described earlier. So he's saying that you firstly you don't use it for yourself in this dunya and secondly when you pass away then it's left behind as dead weight. So he he thinks that this is actually dead weight. Then he says <clears throat> and the reckoning is to be made on the day of judgment. Everybody will be frightened out of his wits and will be drenched in sweat. Owing to intense heat of the day he will be out of his senses as if he is drunk. <clears throat> then Allah Ta'ala says another ayat اِتْتَرَوَ لِلنَّاسِ حِسَابُهُمْ وَهُمْ فِي غَفْلَةٍ مُعْرِزُونَ That their reckoning drew them closer and closer to mankind while they turned away in heedlessness. Then Allah Ta'ala says another ayat وَنَزَعُ الْمَوَازِينَ الْقِسْتَ لِيَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ فَلَا تُزْلَمُ نَفْسٌ شَيْئًا وَإِن كَانَ مِثْقَالَ حَبَّةٍ مِّنْ خَرْدَلٍ أَتَيْنَا بِهَا وَكَفَا بِنَا حَاسِبِينَ And we just set a balance for the day of resurrection so that no soul is wrong. Though it, good or bad deed, be of the weight of a grain of mustard seed, we will bring it into account. Then there is some ahadith on spending your wealth. Then it's from Hazrat Abu Hurairah ta'ala anhu that Nabi al-Islam said that whoever possesses three characteristics will receive an easy reckoning on the day of judgment. Hmm? Three characteristics. Allah Ta'ala will bless him and grant him entry into Jannah. Those three characteristics are, number one, bestowing favors upon those who are not kind to you. Hmm? So those people who are not kind to you, you should be kind to them. Number two, forgiving those who do you wrong. And number three, joining ties of relationship with those who, serve, who savor relations with you. It has been written in other hadith that Nabi Islam said, To every one of you, Allah SWT will speak in such a way that there will be no interpre- interpreter between you and Allah SWT, nor any concealing wheel. He will look to his left and right and see nothing but the deeds he had done in the worldly life. And he will look in front and see nothing but blazing fire of Jahannam. So protect yourself from the fire of Jahannam by means of sadaqa, which is the best protection against the fire of Jahannam. So it should be with a half date. So the amount does not matter, but your ikhlas, hmm, how mukhlis you are matters. In another hadith, Nabi Islam mentioned that Jannah was shown to me and I saw that those on the exalted station in Jannah were the poor ones among the muhajireen. They were very few wealthy people. Allah Akbar Kabira. They were very few wealthy people and very few women among the inhabitants in Jannah. Nabi Islam is saying this. I was told that the rich were still going through their accounts 
at the gates of Jannah. Hmm? They were still answering that they earned so many millions and they spent so many millions here and they hoarded up so many millions. They were still settling their accounts. Hmm? The bigger the business, the bigger the audit, the bigger the audit will be on the Day of Judgment also. Allah Akbar Kabeerah. So the people who are poor, they will be easily going to Jannah. And then at the end, the women folk had been held back owing to their love for gold and silver. So the men will be giving an account for their wealth, where they got it from, where they spent it. And the women will be giving an account on their love for jewelry, gold and silver. Allahu Akbar Kabeerah. In, in another hadith, Nabi Islam said, I stood at the doors of Jannah and I saw that the majority of those who entered it were the poor ones, the rich being engaged in reckoning. And I stood at the gates of Jahannam and I saw that the majority of those who entered it were the women folk. Allahu Akbar Kabeerah. Allahu Akbar. In another hadith, Nabi Islam said, that there are two things which a man fears, but both of them are good for him. He fears death, though death is his protection against trials and temptations, and he fears a decrease in wealth, though the less he possesses, the lighter the reckoning on the Day of Judgment. Hmm? So this is a tarhi by Shaykh Radish Ramadullah. Ajeeb. There are many hadiths. We'll just, I'll just end with one more. So Nabi Islam said once that it was Abu Bakr Siddiq Anhu that he turned to Hazrat Umar Anhu and said, I saw a palace in Jannah hmm? built with a single brilliant white pearl inlaid with rubies. I asked whose palace it was and I was told that it belonged to a young man of the Quraysh tribe. I thought that such a brilliant and magnificent palace must be mine because I am the leader of all Rasuls. <coughs> this is what Nabi Islam is narrating. <coughs> I was just going to enter the palace when I was told that it belonged to Umar Ritalanu. So Rasulullah then told them about the ranks in Jannah, attained variously by Usman, Ali, and many other Sahaba, Anhum Ajma'in. After this, Nabi Islam turned to Abdul Rahman bin Awf Anhu and said, of all of my Sahaba, you came to join me after much delay and I felt afraid that you might have been undone. When you did come at last, I saw that you were all wet with, with perspiration. When I asked you why it had taken you so long, you said that you had been busy rendering an account of your numerous belongings. Allah, even Sahaba Karam. When I asked you why it had taken you so long, you said you had been busy rendering an account of your numerous belongings. You were questioned as to how you had procured your wealth and how you spent it. On hearing this, Hazrat Abdul Rahman Anhu burst into tears and said, O Rasulullah last night I received a caravan of a hundred camels loaded with merchandise. I will give all of these at Sadqa for distribution among the orphans and poor people of Madinah Munawra. I hope that by virtue of this Sadqa, Allah will grant me a lenient reckoning. The Sahaba Kram were scared. Hmm? Even the richest of the Sahaba Krams Allahu Akbar Kabira. Allah Ta'ala may He save us from this. So the last question of this hadith. Hmm? That on the day of judgment will be, how far did one practice the knowledge bestowed? Hmm? How much amal did you do on the ilm that you received? 
So then Shaykh Radhi writes a rule that ignorance about a crime is no excuse and ignorance of law is not accepted as a valid excuse in any court of law. Hmm? So today for example, if you do a crime and you're caught by police and you tell the police that I did not know this rule existed, this law existed, they will tell you that's your fault. That ignorance to the law does not mean that the law does not exist. That's what they teach law students. Number one, hmm? that ignorance of law does not mean that law does not exist. And then Shikhradi Samadullah continues, that for it is one's duty to have knowledge of the law and ignorance of the commandments of Allah SWT is in itself a crime and a sin. Therefore, Nabi Islam said, the search for knowledge is obligatory for every Muslim. Obviously, committing a crime knowingly in sheer defiance of a law is a far more grievous offense. So those people who have ilm and still they know it's a sin and still they're doing it, it's a bigger offense. Then Nabi Islam said, keep giving good counsel to one another. Hmm? In the light of the knowledge you possess, for dishonesty in matters relating to knowledge is worse than dishonesty in financial matters and you will have to account for your knowledge. And once Nabi Islam delivered a sermon in the course of which he praised certain tribes, he then said, What is the matter with the people who do not instruct their neighboring tribes in deen, nor give them good counsel? They do not inculcate in them a proper understanding of deen, nor persuade them to do good deeds, nor do they forbid them to do evil deeds. And why is it that some people do not wish to learn knowledge from their neighboring tribes, nor do they desire to have a proper understanding nor do they take counsel from their neighbors. Let those who are learned instruct their neighbors in deen, admonish them and inculcate in them a proper understanding of deen and let those who are ignorant learn all these things from the learned ones. I swear by Allah, if they fail to do so, they would be punished severely even in this world in addition to the punishment in the hereafter. Saying this, Nabi Islam got down from the member. People began to talk about the tribes which he meant. Nabi Islam said that he was referring to the Ash'aris who were possessed of knowledge and a proper understanding of deen while the tribes living in their neighborhood were ignorant of religious knowledge. So the people of ilm, they have a great responsibility that they should pass this ilm on to people who don't have ilm and the people who are ignorant. Hmm, there are many people who say that we don't want to hear but they will be asked on the day of judgment that you had people coming to you, you had people giving you dawa, you had people giving you nasiha, but you were still ignorant. So the responsibility is on both ends. People of ilm should pass it on and people who don't have ilm should try and acquire as much as they want. On one of the duas of Nabi Islam, Nabi Islam used to make dua that, O oh Allah, I seek your protection against knowledge that I do not benefit from. Hmm? So we should also make dua hmm? that we get ilm and nafe, that ilm which is useful for us. In another hadith, Nabi Islam said, On the night of Mehraj, I saw a group of men whose lips were, clip, were being clipped with scissors of fire. On asking who they were, Jibrail al-Islam told me that they were those preachers of my ummah who commanded others to do good deeds but did not do so themselves. Allahu Akbar Kabira. That's also frightening. 
then there's some stories of the Aliyah. We'll just do a couple. So Malik ibn Dinar reports that on the authority of Hassan Basri that Nabi Islam once said, whoever delivers a sermon will be questioned by Allah SWT on the day of judgment about the motive behind his sermon. That he will have to explain whether it was meant for gaining worldly advantages such as wealth, fame, worldly honor or for winning the pleasure of Allah SWT. So the people of Dawa, this is for them that their niyat, they should be, they should be mukhlis, that they want to give knowledge to the people, so that people can do amal, rather than being famous, hmm? or having the worldly riches, that they may think, that people will start liking us now, and people will come and give us money. Hmm? A student of Malik says that whenever he related this hadith, he wept bitterly, so that his voice choked with tears. Then he said, you think that I take pleasure in giving sermons? So I am aware of the fact that on the day of judgment I shall have to explain what motivated my sermons. Nevertheless, it is incumbent upon every alim to deliver sermons for it is his responsibility to instruct others in religious knowledge and there are many ahadiths to that effect. So, Shaykh Hadith Sallallahu is saying that it is the duty of the ulama to guide the people through sermons. It is their duty but they should be careful on their niyat also. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant all of us to do amal on all five of these things and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us easy for all of us to answer all of these questions, five questions. We'll do So make niyat. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم حسبنا الله ونعم الوكيل حسبنا الله ونعم الوكيل حسبنا الله ونعم الوكيل اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله 
لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والله ذو فضل على المؤمنين والله ذو فضل على المؤمنين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم
بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إنا لله وإنا إليه راجعون إنا لله وإنا إليه راجعون اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الله ولي الذين امنوا الله ولي الذين امنوا الله ولي الذين امنوا اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم 
والله ولي المؤمنين والله ولي المؤمنين والله ولي المؤمنين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم before the mic rakwa close your eyes and bow your head imagine allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy is coming in your hearts and it's cleaning your hearts from all of the sins and your heart is saying allah allah allah